Welcome to Be A Bigger Fish. This is the podcast that explores the power of podcasting. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm your host. This is season two of Be A Bigger Fish, which is dedicated to in-house podcasters and the audio content that internal communications professionals produce for their organisations. I'm thrilled to say that this episode is something of a black box episode. It stars accomplished internal communications professional Jen Phelps. And Jen and I sparked up a conversation on Twitter about an in-house podcast she had experience of that failed to deliver. I was really curious about how this had happened and what we could learn from this situation and I was delighted when Jen agreed to be interviewed for the podcast to talk about that. I don't want to spoil too much of the content so I let you listen to Jen's side of the story but I just want to say how grateful I am to Jen for sharing this so candidly and for helping us all to learn from the comparative experiences she has of podcast series that have gone well and podcast series that have not. So let's get into the conversation. I'm very happy to be speaking with Jen Phelps today so Jen welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Would you kindly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. So I have been working in the internal communications field for about 20, little over 20 years now. And I actually started my career in nonprofit management and then began to focus on internal communications more and more and moved over to the private sector. And since then, I've actually had the opportunity to move back into the public sector again. So a nice wide variety of helping a a number of people, both small and large organizations. And I've had the opportunity to manage internal communications for an entire organization, as well as some subsets of those organizations, which has really allowed me to sort of play with some of the tools and things that have been available to us as internal communicators over time. So I find it to be a very rewarding career where we're able to help people across the organization and really get to know people in a way that others might not have the opportunity. That's such a great way to look at it. And I think that's why the internal communications community is such a welcoming community, because we genuinely do find each other interesting, don't we? (laughs) And like having those conversations, getting to know people. We had a conversation online, Jen, didn't we, about podcasts, in-house podcasts specifically, and how actually they can not work out as you may want them to work out. And I know you've had some experience of working on an in-house podcast that had plenty of promise, but actually failed to deliver against its expectations. Would you kindly give us a little bit of context around that? What was the type of organization you were working in when that podcast came about? Absolutely. Podcasting at the time seemed to be a very exciting potential tool for us. The organization that I worked for at the time was a little under 60,000 employees in a very highly dispersed workforce We had a number of individuals across the United States as well as in other countries. And there were a number of initiatives that were touching these groups of employees. And so podcasting seemed to be something that, aside from the traditional tools of internets and sort of top-down, bottom-up kinds of internal communications that you might see, it seemed to, to be something that we thought might resonate with a number of folks. At the time, this organization had rather deep pockets, which was also a positive in terms of being able to get the equipment and to ensure that we were working with folks who who knew what they were doing to ensure a quality podcast recording and to make sure that we had the right seats uh, around the table and were thinking about things very holistically. And so it was an exciting time. and, And though it was an organization that would require and it did require in fact the development of an internal podcasting application so that things were secure and could not be shared externally we developed the this application we we put a great deal of thought into the format and the guests and all of these kinds of things and as you stated part of the reason that we initially started chatting about this was i think a number of people have had great success with it and i think that's wonderful we all hope that that will happen 
But this was a, a case where this was a large organization with quite a bit of resources and and technically it should have been a home run, so to speak, and it was not. Mm. It was very interesting in the sense that it was lined up for success and and yet still it it didn't work. And so I think this is perhaps the cautionary tale, if you will, for folks thinking about podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. It's very kind of you to share this experience with us because we can all learn so much more from things that don't go as we hope they'd go, right? Because we can try to unpack why that happened and build that into strategies for the future. To take it back to the beginning, what was it that particularly made podcasting seem like a good idea? Was there a particular challenge you were facing that you were hoping a podcast could solve? There was at the time, and it's interesting because we decided to focus on a bit of a niche group, but a very important group. And that was some of the senior leadership at the company. There were messages that we were trying to communicate with some of the senior leadership to ensure that they were getting the information that they needed around a rather large project that was impacting the entire organization. And we had tried as internal communications as a whole across the organization to get information to these individuals in a variety of means. So whether that was working with chiefs of staff, sending out newsletters and memos, having presentations, doing any number of things, we had really tried with, with a bit of, quite a bit of gusto behind it to make sure that we were getting the message across. Mm-hmm. And we were finding that they just, as happens in organizations like this, we had a number of very busy executives. And these executives are oftentimes traveling back and forth. And we started thinking about how a maybe five to 10 minute podcast that was sort of almost like the highlight or, you know, the news headlines of the day would help these executives while they're in an Uber, for example, going to the airport and we could get the message out to them. And so that was the original, why don't we try this kind of moment, that light bulb moment. And that was originally what started the conversation was how do we find a unique way to communicate with senior executives who are too busy to take another meeting, potentially read another email and so forth, and and give this content to them in a way that they could listen to it on a plane or in a car or something. I mean, that sounds like a an ideal use case for a podcast. And you said that the company you work for had quite deep pockets. So did you make a big investment in setting up the sort of tools and equipment and things you needed to capture that podcast? There was a a decent amount that was invested in it. We were fortunate at the time that we had the area that I was working with actually, which was part of the learning organization. And again, probably the, the right people to be delving into how do we deliver information that people need to know about, had hired a videographer who had a great deal of sound engineering experience as well. Mm-hmm. And the company had already begun to invest in this application that I mentioned that was an internal podcasting platform. It's sort of any number of these types of tools that exist that people listen to their podcasts on. And there are many of them out there and, and it just all depends on sort of preference that you use. But but the, the organization had already put a, a, a fair amount of money into this podcasting app that was proprietary to the company. And so that was already happening. And then we were working with this sound engineer videographer who had a great deal of experience with podcasting and, and recording videos for training purposes and so forth. And we probably spent almost the most time actually in people resources because we also put together a guide around basic podcasting etiquette. And if you have an interest in starting a podcast for your own part of the organization, these are some of the things that you should be thinking about because there was software that was available. Licenses were available pretty much. There was no cap on them, which is not usual in a number of organizations. We had suggested, for example, a small but mighty podcast toolkit, if you will. So there are some options out there that include microphones and tips for recording similarly to the way we're talking here um, when you're recording over the internet or via the phone and the frequency and the topics. We put a great deal of time into developing this internal podcasting guide. I almost shudder actually to think about the number of hours that we put into that alone before we began working then with 
some of the senior executives who were the hosts of this particular podcast show, if you will. And so, yeah, it's not just the resources in terms of the equipment, which had been purchased because we needed it for a variety of other projects as well. But it was the number of hours, I think, when I really think about, and that's something that a lot of folks don't stop to think about, right? This idea of how much time does this take and how many hours and how many people are involved in it in terms of the investment of just getting things started. And if I were to go back now and calculate that, I'm, I might be a little frightened, actually, at the number of hours that we put into setting this up because we wanted to make sure that it was a success. If we did back-to-back days, for example, it was, it was probably close to a month of time. Um, and it was there were probably three or four of us that were involved in that. So when you look at it from that investment as well, not just the equipment and you know, the development of the application and things, and also look at truly the number of hours that went into training and working with folks to get their schedules organized and securing a room where things could be recorded and that was you know, either soundproof or at least the acoustics were good as they could possibly be. There was a lot of a lot of investment that went into that. The investment in time is one of the key considerations when you're podcasting because it is a time-consuming thing to produce, especially when you start out, and particularly if, as you're describing, you go for something that's really high quality and highly produced, and you're very fussy about you know sound environment and that sort of thing. So. Tell me a little bit about the format. How did it work out? You said you wanted sort of five to 10 minute news headline style content. Is that what you achieved? It was. And I actually think it was a good format. And even looking back on it, I don't know that I would have changed anything. I suppose we could have had it all run together and it would have been closer to a 40 minute episode. But we broke it up into sort of logical segments where we had our host who introduced the guests and introduced the topic that we would be talking about and talked about how it related to the company's overall goals and if it was a particular part of the company that it was impacting, really focused on that aspect of things. There was, as we mentioned, we were talking about production quality and there was a wonderful sort of, we had that great intro music that had been curated for us. It was very highly produced and and the individual who hosted it was just a natural. This, this is just someone who, who's just very comfortable in front of a camera or a microphone and or on stage or just talking to anybody really in any kind of scenario. And I just think it's this person's personality that they're they're quite sort of charismatic, if you will. And so it was always interesting. The introduction, you know, sort of introduced the the topic, the guests. That we often had other guests as well from from the company to talk about their specific areas. And so it wasn't just one voice, but rather that particular voice and then the voice of one or two, sometimes three other people. And it was broken into usually four segments, four 10 minute segments. And it sort of started with a question that we wanted to answer and gave a little bit of background about what was happening in the industry and what we needed to be thinking about how that impacted us and what we were doing. And then it would lead into sort of a Q&A format um, with a bit of additional information as we went along. And the idea of breaking it up was so that rather than the individual who's listening to it, again, in this case, primarily senior executives, that they could just say, I've only got 10 minutes, I'm going to listen to this 10 minute segment and stop and then I can listen to this other segment or potentially even, I don't need to know about these things. But maybe these two segments in the middle are the areas I really want to focus my time on. And and I think the idea behind that was we wanted to give them the chance to sort of pick and choose their content a bit versus having to potentially scrub through 40 minutes and, you know, or it would have taken us even more time to say that this mark, we talk about this with this person. And I think that might have been asking a bit too much of that audience who already didn't have the time to invest in, in listening to or reading our communications. And so... I thought it was a rather interesting format and it didn't feel as though every time you started, you had to start from the beginning, but rather it was it picked up, but it was a natural pause and allowed them to sort of pick and choose that content. So it was a bit of an interesting way of doing things, but for that audience, it, it seemed like the right move at the time. That sounds like a great strategy and a, and a really good idea for a format. So what happened? How did your audience respond when you started producing the podcast? So we had a bit of a challenge right from the start. As I mentioned, the application was developed 
specifically for employees of this organization. And it had to be downloaded to your particular phone. Or you could listen to it as well on your computer if you wanted to. So that was always an option. And we actually found later that we had more folks who were listening to it on their computers than on their phones. Because the initial thought was, well, they could put it on their phones. The primary audience could listen to it, hopefully, while they're busy and sort of traveling about. But employees could listen to this as well. People were not a fan of the app, even though I will say it was absolutely beautifully designed. People had put a great deal of of time and thought into it and it worked very well. And I I understand that for security reasons, it had to be done that way. But I think people saw it as one more thing initially. So right away, we had that challenge of, I have to to put this app on my phone. It's one more thing I have to manage. It doesn't integrate with the other app that I may use to listen to podcasts. That was challenge number one. Challenge number two was that the target audience still just didn't have the interest and the desire to listen to these things. And they weren't wanting to listen. It was one more thing that, again, they had to do. And this is funny because I think a lot of us in the internal communications field have heard this. There's a constant sort of battle about people say, well, I don't, I get too many emails. I don't want to read another email. I don't want to have to look this up. And then we find out, oh no, actually in the way that they're spending their time when they're in their cars on the way to the airport, for example, is scrolling through their emails. So true. And they don't want to have to stop to put their earbuds in and listen to the <laughs> podcast. And so it was a bit of the opposite of what we'd intended based on some of that initial research that we had done and, and what we talked about. The surprise in all of this is that while the senior executives who this podcast were de- was developed for were not interested in listening to it. And again, it was just sort of the, we don't have time for this reaction. We found that employees were a bit more interested in, in listening to some of these things. It was still information that was coming from a source that was higher up. And so it's credible information. But in general, I think people just felt like it was a bit, a bit too dry, I guess, in some ways for what they associate podcasts as being, which is an entertainment vehicle. And I think that's an interesting challenge. I mean, certainly there are news podcasts and there are podcasts about how to do things. And and that's certainly a genre of podcast. But I don't know that that's what employees were thinking they were going to get when it came to a podcast from us. I think they'd hoped it would be a bit more entertaining and perhaps a bit more lighthearted or or news or information in a, in a different way. And it just did not do well at all. And we did a number of these um, around really important topics that we were chatting about in various other ways of, you know, employees and managers alike were getting this information via other vehicles as well, but it just did not take off with the target audience at all. And we could track, of course, the number of downloads and listens. And I am embarrassed to tell you that it, it was a very low percentage and we're probably talking less than 5% of the, the population that we were targeting. And we even had meetings with some of the senior staff members who helped manage these folks' schedules to talk with them and, and get their input about how might we make this more accessible to them or get them more excited about it and how do we partner together. And even those were poorly attended and, and just it just completely flopped. It, it, it did not work yeah. well for us at all. That's such a shame after all that hard work and and all that great strategy. So did you get any verbatim commentary from your target audience about why they weren't accessing the podcast content? We did. And it wasn't just from them, but it was from the employee population who were actually quite helpful in giving us some additional feedback. And it's something that I encourage people to think about as they're considering their podcast strategy. The comment we got is, when I have downtime, and I'm in my car, on the train, on the bus, working out in the gym, I don't want to hear about work. I want that time to be time for me to unplug from work and to focus on other things, to focus on my hobbies, to focus on the news, to focus on the industry. But I don't want to hear about work. And I just thought that was such a revelation And it does make some sense. I tie it back to conversations I've had somewhat recently, actually, around digital signage as a tool. And where do you place your digital signs when you're talking about internal communication? One thing that 
I had learned many years ago from a digital signage project that I had been involved in. But it's funny because I talked to someone who unfortunately learned this a very hard way and made a very large investment in digital signage that they placed in break rooms. Right. It was a very similar reaction to the podcast. When I am taking a break, when I'm having my tea, when I'm taking my lunch, I don't want to hear about work. I don't want to see this. I want to unplug. And so I think that that presents something that we all need to take pause probably and think about a little bit. That again, it always we're always thinking about delivering content to people where and when they want to be engaged. And clearly this is a miss in terms of that. That's such an interesting analogy to think about podcast content in comparison with digital signage, which maybe has been around a little bit longer and we're, we're a little more familiar with in the workplace. You mentioned that the employee group who weren't really your primary target audience were maybe a little bit warmer to the podcast content than your primary audience. Did that encourage you to try to change it so that it was appealing to that group a little bit more? Did you take a sort of next step with it or did you just stop the project? Before we stopped the podcast entirely, we decided, well, we're, we've already invested some time and energy in this. And we had another group that we were working with in the learning organization who were interested in presenting a podcast that basically talked about peer successes in growing your career. And we thought, well, the platform exists. We have the equipment. We've talked about this. Let's see what happens and and give this a try. And so we did a short series in a similar format where there were three or four, I can't remember which, but either three or four short 10-minute podcasts that were interviews with individuals who had grown their career. And in this particular instance, it was in in the technology area. And of course, technology is constantly changing and it's, it is a very rapidly moving kind of area where, where folks have to be pretty self-motivated to continue to keep pace with what's happening. And so we thought that was an interesting area to focus on, this career growth within this technology sector. And we did interviews specifically with three individuals who had grown by quite a lot. And, and they had different backgrounds in terms of when they came into the organization, what was their their experience and their experience level and, you know, and how much tenure did they have? And so we gave it a shot and we, it was three very different people through very different kinds of career paths um, with their advice about how to continue growing their career, what they were planning to do, what they had done and what had helped them succeed at the company. It did much better than did the other podcast. I do think it was in part anecdotally in talking with some of the employees who listened to it. It had something to do for sure with the fact that it felt a little bit more relaxed. It was something that could truly help them and, and maybe fit more in line with the types of podcasts they would listen to on their own time, which is a, how do you grow your career? Or well, how do you take the next step? Or how do you succeed? And these are the types of things people might listen to anyhow, and seemed a little less about work and that particular company and their objectives and more about the individual and what they could get out of it. I will tell you that the numbers were still not where they needed to be to continue, but it was a 350 to 400% increase over what we were getting, even at our best with the senior executive podcast. So when you look at it like that, it was a massive success. Still not where we'd want to be, but, but a massive success nonetheless. Yeah, actually, that's a huge step change in terms of improvement over your first sort of experiment, which, you know, that that's amazing. And three really brilliant observations I've scribbled down because I think they're superb that it was more successful because it was more relaxed you said and because people found it truly helpful and because it was more in line with what they expected to get from a podcast and I think that's such an important observation you know podcasting is such a powerful medium but we we come to it with an expectation of what it is and it is a slightly more maverick slightly more relaxed kind of broadcasting channel right so when we try to then make it very formal and corporate it doesn't kind of 
match up with what we expect when we press play. Yeah, it, it definitely is one of those things where even though we had an executive who was very relaxed and and had a, a very bright and, and personable demeanor about him, it just didn't, it just didn't work. It wasn't what people expected from podcasting, just in the same, I think that there are those expectations around the way that people get their content. And when we stray from that, it, of course, it's, it's a bit of a, an experiment and we all know that, but even with the best planning, it, it can sometimes fail because the audience does have very specific ideas about what they're going to get when they press play. Yeah, that's right. We can take advantage of the fact that people have expectations in a way because we know we can deliver content through the channels they expect to receive content through and they will connect with it. But it's also quite frustrating, isn't it, when you want to be pioneering and make a step change in your organisation and have a bigger impact than you currently can have, you know, when you find that there's that barrier of resistance to change. It's um, Yeah, absolutely. And it it also was very interesting and I think worth noting that, you know, I've often talked with others too about when we look at measurement that we can't forget tenure in an organization and that I personally have found that the longer the tenure, the more resistance there is to change when it comes to communication, the way that we do things. And it did not surprise me to find that it was definitely the, the audience who were more interested in this, how do you grow your career and succeed, pure podcast, did have less tenure with the organization. Right. And I think that's something that was an interesting observation as well. Yes, that is quite enlightening. And I wonder how many people actually consider tenure when they're, you know, measuring the outcomes of their general right. comms work. Good tip for people to go back and relook at their data with, I think. Before we go any further into the detail of why you think that failed and, you know, what maybe could have been done about it, I'm I'm really fascinated in the fact that you're in a different role now. I think you said you moved back into the public sector, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Correct. So had an opportunity to move back into the public sector where things move a bit more slowly. And I'm not sure that's always the worst thing because it really does cause us to pause and think about, is this the best move? If we're making a change, what are we going to get out of this long term? And and so we, you know, I had worked in the public sector beforehand and, and often found that people were frustrated and I'm sure there are folks out there who still are frustrated sometimes by the pace of things and and how quickly you can get things done. But one thing I will say that I learned being in in the private sector for so long where things definitely, depending on on the the sort of scope and and breadth of of what you have at your feet that you can do, things could move quite quickly if if the resources were there to fund it and, and there was enough interest in it. But perhaps even when you're putting, really you're putting the time in to think through it, maybe still not in, in quite the same way when you know that you can only focus on one or two projects at a time because there just isn't, there's not, there aren't the resources available. You don't have as many people, you may not have the technology or you might be dealing with outdated technology. And I think anyone who works in a, you know, in a nonprofit organization understands that it is a very different kind of environment in terms of the tools that are available to you and, and perhaps even the version of Windows that you may be on, it, yes. things don't move as yes. fast. And so, um, you know, what I'm finding, having come back to the, to the public sector, is that things are a, a little bit more thoughtful, is how I see it, at least. And, and I'm sure it differs from organization to organization, but my experience has been that there's just a little bit more time that goes into, a little thought, more thought that goes into whether or not making an investment, even if it's a very small one of time and energy and resources, ultimately are going to help you achieve those end results and it's going to be worth it. You know, thinking about podcasting, it's interesting because the organization that I'm, I'm with now does do podcasting. They don't do any internal podcasting, but the podcasts that are produced for the public certainly are listened to by our employees and generally are seen as a form of communication. I don't think they really consider them to be internal communication tools. They're certainly not. And they're not managed by the group that, that handles internal communication. But there's quite a following for those. And I think it's, again, when I think about why is that, it's because it's the type of content that people are expecting to consume. So they know very much what they're going to get. It's the type of thing that you're, you can pick and choose based on the topic. 
they're they're well produced, they're well thought through, and I think that it's giving the proper target audience, if you will, that opportunity to listen to things that they are expecting to hear about. And so some of those things that were the myths for us and in, in the previous organization and, and with that experiment that we've tried work quite well here. And it's sort of the reverse. The public is listening to these things. And internally, of course, you know, employees have access to this because it is a publicly produced podcast. But it's it's just the, the complete opposite, if you will. It's just a, a complete flip around from from the last experience. I think this is a really unique comparison that you've got actually. And it's fascinating to hear that the content that's not created as internal comms content is probably more of a hit in your internal comms than in the previous organization where it was, you know, deliberately an, a, you know, an internal comms solution. I just think that's fascinating. And, and what do you think that's all about? Is it that convergence of internal and external that's being discussed quite a lot in the industry at the moment? Do you think that's what's fueling it? Or is it more, you know, the fact that the podcast is available on regular directories? So there isn't that kind of friction of having to have a separate app per se? I think it's a bit of both. You know, I've talked with folks about this quite a lot, actually, about the convergence of internal and external communications. And, you know, one of the things that I did successfully in a, in a separate role from the, the two that we've been talking about was the internal communications group had very successfully worked with the, the external communications groups. And that public affairs group always made sure that internal communications knew what was going on. And it gave us an internal communications the opportunity to sort of piggyback off of what they were talking about and make sure that people knew that this was happening, that they saw that it was in the news, that we were being acknowledged for something, or there was some way to tie it back to the work that the group was doing internally and to kind of delve into that. But that internal communications strategy, I think, by far was the most successful that I've ever seen. In that organization, we had 26,000 employees spread across the United States. And that partnership worked phenomenally. That is one, that's an organization I would love to have done podcasting in. And I think it would have been a phenomenal hit. I, I would love to know if they're doing it now. I think it would have been a huge hit because there was such a synergy between those two groups working together to make sure that the messaging that was going out externally to the public and to the press and internally to the employees was just in such rhythm. It, it was just perfect the way that things worked. And it really gave us that opportunity to leverage every chance that we could, the news that was going out there. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that happening here. So while there's not a direct tie to it. You know, on the internet, there is a feed that shows what the latest podcasts and news and things that are going out to the public are. So it's really, it's easily accessible when you're there. And also because we have groups who are working on content that might show up in some of these podcast reports. I think that helps as well. There's a bit of ownership and a bit of pride, and as there should be. I think that convergence that you hit on is so important and making sure that you know what's going on and how you might be able to sort of piggyback off of that to, to make a story stronger. And what we're seeing where I am now is just, it happens on its own. It's, it's a very organic process. And there hasn't been any type of push to make it happen, which I think is interesting. It's just folks know that this is something that is produced and they can choose to listen to it or not. But I definitely hear people talking about it. And sometimes it's because they're part of an organization that may have done some work on, on the topic. Mm. And sometimes it's just because there's just general interest in it. And it is so widely available. So it's it's a very different kind of circumstance, as you said. But that synergy is something that I think I wish we could stress more to folks. Yeah. Communication, right? We always laugh about this. And I'm sure there are a number of others out there who do the same. But we, we joke that we're in a communication shop. And, and what we need to be doing is communicating better with one another. <laughs> it seems we, we do it so well with everyone else, but we forget that we need to be doing it amongst ourselves as well. Yeah, so true. 
you know, I love the fact that you attribute a sense of ownership and a sense of pride to one of the reasons why your employees are dialing into this content that's intended effectively for external stakeholders. That must be a really positive feed into that culture, you know, that they're feeling proud of the content that you're sharing with your external public. Definitely. And it's interesting because as you said that, it made me think about the other organization that I was talking about where we did work very closely with public affairs. And there was a great deal of pride there too, whether it was a product that was being released or service that was being provided. Culturally, there was a very deeply embedded sense of of pride and ownership. And it makes me wonder if if that wasn't one of those missing ingredients in the organization where we tried the podcast that that really did not succeed. Mm. If it was because we were trying too hard and there was something culturally that may have been missing that you can't just fix with a tool. Yeah. How do you get to the nub of the organization's culture? Things like pride and you know, sense of ownership. Those are the things that people don't actually talk about out loud. So how do you tease that out from your colleague group so that you know that what you're producing actually resonates with what's really important to them? Right. It's something that I think when it is talked about, It's often because at some level of the organization, they recognize that maybe there isn't enough of that going on or there's a push to change culture. And we all know that cultural shifts do not happen quickly. Of course, this is something I'm constantly beating my drum about is that, you know, internal communication absolutely needs to be brought into those conversations so that we know what's happening and we can help to reinforce messaging and the things that we do. Because there's a lot of times that we have an opportunity, whether we're producing a podcast or there's a town hall, meaning that one of us may be responsible for, or an article that we're writing for an employee newsletter, whatever it might be, we're constantly as communicators, we're looking for those opportunities to find a chance to sort of put in a reinforcement message, if you will. But when you're talking about cultural shifts, these things don't happen overnight. And so when an organization is is looking to change the culture, We all know that from our experiences, I think, in working particularly with human resources organizations, it's a long haul. There's a lot of research that goes into those kinds of efforts and and such. And so, you know, to try to make that happen through a podcast, for example, it's not going to. But it does make me take pause and wonder for somebody who may be thinking about doing this, if you know that that is something that's thriving in your organization, that the culture that there is employee pride around something that they've done, that maybe that is the it's a good starting point. And if culturally, you know, that employee pride and sort of ownership isn't there, is there something else that you can build on? So if, if that is something that has not been developed to the point that you're hoping to in your organization, perhaps there are other things that the organization is known for that employees take pride in. And it kind of gets, I guess it comes back to not only knowing the organization, having conversations with the appropriate people, but sometimes those, those quote unquote appropriate people our employee population and doing focus groups and and talking with them regularly about how they feel about the organization and getting some of that honest feedback. And and perhaps your organization does the annual surveys, you know, satisfaction surveys. I know everywhere I've ever been, we've, we've done at least one or two surveys a year. But thinking about the content that you've gotten from those surveys as well, and thinking about whether there might be a jumping off point that would help to at least give you more of a fighting chance if you go in there and put together a a podcast strategy. Like what, what are employees talking about? Where's the buzz and what are they really happy about or feeling like there's a lot of pride in, and perhaps strictly using a podcast for education was not a great move for us and might not be a great move for another organization. And, And if it is, I would love to hear about it because I would love to know what we might've been able to do differently. But I think that, maybe that nub that we were talking about, that little piece that we're looking for is what's going well and how do you springboard from that and really enhance that to give people that feeling of that pat on the back or, you know, give them the opportunity to stand up a bit straighter because they really do feel good about what they're doing. You're absolutely right. Your call to action to us in a way is to say, where's the buzz? Where is the buzz in your organization? And and use that as the start point, you know, to bring people up. What a great thing if you could get a podcast to do that. I think that would be huge. Yeah. So looking back on the original project, from your perspective now, is there anything else you think shines a light on why that podcast project didn't go so well? 
I think I would do a bit more of what we were just chatting about rather than made it about the senior executives who just didn't have the time for this. And and I think that was a completely different issue that I would say we, we just didn't successfully tackle. It was challenging to get time with them. And as an internal communicator, I know that was a challenge for me. It was a challenge for my peers to get time with leaders, even if it's just been a five minute block to really get them the bullet points that they needed and the things that they needed to know about the organization. Getting in front of them, I think, was, was probably still a better approach, if you will, than turning over the podcast to them. Mm. And if I could go back and do it again, and podcasting is something that the organization was still interested in, I think I would say, what is it that we're known for? What are the things that people are talking about? And let's try to start building out from there and and find the topics that, that people are wanting to hear more about that they they want to learn more about but that also ties into the things that make them so proud to be an employee of this organization and so excited about the direction that we're growing in sort of let them help drive the agenda a bit more i think that's where we got so fixated it was a bit of tunnel vision on this particular group and meeting this need that we just knew we weren't meeting and just as a tool, it just, it just didn't work. We learned a quick lesson when we looked at the analysis and we saw that it was actually employees who were listening to these versus the senior management. <laughs> and it was like, okay, wrong audience. This isn't yeah. who was supposed to be listening to these things because we did make them available to everyone, but with the hope that it would, the senior managers would listen to these, to these podcasts. And I definitely would think again about if we're going to launch this, who should the audience be? And let's start with something that we know excites them. And perhaps it was some of those same topics that we were talking about, but we could have presented them in a less managerial, functional kind of way and, and made them a bit more exciting and given given folks who were working on those projects, for example, a chance to talk about them. And sort of that first person peer to peer approach that seemed to work so well when we did talk about that career growth and development podcast that we did. I think that might have been more successful for us. Yeah, I, that's a brilliant observation. And and you said earlier about the fact people were expecting the podcast content to be more entertaining. Do you think it's possible to find the right sort of pitch or tone of voice where you can produce in-house podcast content that is entertaining, but it's also credible and it carries a message that people feel is worthwhile? So it's not just froth, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And you know what's interesting is I mentioned that the individual that we had host the podcast for the senior executives was quite charismatic and and just really well regarded as just a phenomenal human being. And I would not change that. I actually would still have had that individual be the host of the podcast because that was someone who had great visibility and was very respected and and people just really wanted to talk to that individual on on a daily basis, if they had a chance to talk with this person, they would have taken it. And this person always made time for people. And so they were very well known. And anytime they would kick off an event or anything, there's always a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And and just this person's personality made you feel as though you knew them, even if you had not chatted a lot with them. Right. They were absolutely the right choice. And so I think that may be one way of doing it is that this person was very much seen as being credible and being seen as a very positive, actionable voice for the organization. This was somebody that had great credibility. And so I think there are always those people somewhere in the organization. And so you just have to sort of suss that out. And many times it's obvious, but potentially it's not as obvious, especially if you come in as an internal communicator and you don't know the organization as, as well. It can take some time to figure out who those people are. And it might not be a leader. It might be somebody who's just in an area where people interact with folks on a a more day-to-day basis. And so I think it takes some thinking and a bit of detective work on our part as internal communicators to find out who that right person is or who has their pulse on the organization and, and talks to enough folks sort of as we do in internal communications to have a good sense of what's happening where and where are the changes happening what kinds of questions might people have it reminds me quite a lot of that work into um, peer influence inside organizations so rather than communicating through traditional channels and cascading and all of those things we're trying to break away from it's finding the genuine influences that people listen to because they I guess are authentic they have that peer-to-peer relationship they have that interest in the organization that makes them alive to what's going on and you know where things are coming from and that sort of thing so that's a really good tip I think 
Yeah. In some ways, I feel like that might be something that would be a good exercise for all of us as internal communicators to go through is to think about at every level of the organization and, you know, and maybe the, the various groups or the subgroups within an organization, who are those people? And it doesn't have to be, as you said, it doesn't always have to be the leader of the organization. Certainly in, in podcasting, there's there's room for that. But I think there's room for that when we think about who we want to host town halls or present a video or to do some type of a more focused piece for an employee magazine or whatever it might be. There's a lot of opportunity for us to tap into that. So you're hearing from different voices. And I think that is also something that keeps people interested and engaged. It's not always hearing from the same people all the time. If they're expecting that, we want to give that to them. But how do you also sort of fill in some of those gaps with with other voices and, and give people a chance to shine too? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great challenge to, to any internal communicator. Well, given all your experience to date and some of the missteps that have happened in, in your podcasting experience, what's your personal view of in-house podcasts now? Do you think they're something that can work and do you think they can be of value? I do think they can work and they definitely can be of value. I think that a thorough analysis is incredibly important and you know, we thought we had done that. I think we were a little bit fixated and, and perhaps blinded. We had the, the blinders on with regard to the senior management aspect of things. I think that as long as we as internal communicators approach these kinds of projects and podcasting with the same kind of energy and enthusiasm with everything else that we do, but also we all remember a time when it was impossible to measure things. And, and that's not the case with internal communications any longer. So Really taking a look at, at the statistics that you've gathered around your other internal communications tools and looking at comments that people have provided to you in surveys or at any opportunity that you may have had to really chat with people. But looking at that information and maybe I think one thing that we did not do that I would go back and probably would do some focus groups too around this with employees to truly find out what it is they would want to listen to. And and if they said to me what turned out to be the case, which is I just don't want to hear anything about work and my downtime, I might say maybe this isn't the right tool for us. So I do think they can work depending on who's in your organization, you know, where are they sitting? Do you have a dispersed workforce? Do you have a lot of people who are teleworking and and this is an opportunity for them to hear things that they might not otherwise hear because they're not in the office interacting with people and, and or they're traveling a lot, whatever the case may be. I think analysis, I guess, is really what it comes down to if I have to sort of distill it for you is make sure you take the time to do the proper analysis to think about who your audience is, where they're located, how they're going to to get to this, what type of tool you might use, how much time is it going to take you to do this versus something else that might be just as effective. Are you adding to your toolkit? Are you taking away? You know, what's your goal? And really take the time to think through those things. Because I think that I wouldn't say that it's even so drastic to say, oh, the stars and the moon have to align in certain ways so that this would work. <laughs> I don't think it's that complicated, really. I think that it's just a matter of us being very honest with ourselves and, and also making sure that you have, you've talked to people and you understand what it is that they are looking for, where those points of pride are that we talked about and the things that people want to hear more about. And I think I would very bluntly ask the question too, if we were to put a podcast out, would you listen to it? And what would you want to hear? And maybe ask some more of those open-ended questions to see if there are ideas out there that we haven't thought about as internal communicators. And that I think is is what sets you up for that success. And then there's all the other pieces, of course, you know, your promotion and how easy it is to get things and all of the things you're thinking about the podcasting in terms of the how the frequency of the content and the length and all of those kinds of things that we talk about. But I think we oftentimes get so caught up in that that we don't think about the other pieces. And so I do think it can be a successful internal communications tool, but maybe instead of getting caught up in the technicalities of it, because it is a newer tool that requires a bit more technology, um, we get very hung up on that and forget to maybe put quite as much time or there's at least the trap that that could happen um, to think about those things up front. Yeah, some brilliant advice that applies to all of your communication strategy, I think, and particularly when you're trying out new tools and digital solutions, you know, don't let the tools and the tech 
blind you to the fact that it's actually a conversation between human beings at the heart of the matter. Right. Uh, and, and if you take steps that actually obscure that reality, you know, you're not helping. If you take steps that amplify that reality, then, it, you know, it's probably going to be more of a success. Right. Yeah. Well said. I hope that the conversation that we've had, you know, will will spark some some creativity in, in folks and that they will, if, if things are going well for them, that they're inclined to share. And if things have not gone well, that people are willing to, to have a conversation around that as well, because it's through that learning, right, that we can all help each other to be more successful out of the gate. And, if, you know, as some of the folks I've worked with in the past, is that if you're going to fail, fail fast so that you can move on to the next thing and, and, and work to find a solution that, that is going to positively impact the organization and help you achieve your goal. So I think I think that's the big thing here is it it may well be the solution that your organization needs and it may not, but um, as long as you're willing to give it a try and if not quickly move on, which is what we did, um, there's probably no harm done. Yeah, absolutely. And I applaud your courage and your openness in talking about this. Uh, there are f- few people who are prepared to be so honest and candid, I think, about experiences that didn't go quite so well. You know, it's easy to attribute that to something and just sweep it aside and forget all about it. But right. I think, yeah, but I think this is so much more helpful. And the, and the amazing comparison you've got across the two situations you've worked in most recently is so enlightening. Um, this is been fascinating fascinating for me and i'm sure for anybody listening in so really i thank you so much for sharing that that with us and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share as well if anybody would like to get in touch with you jen what's the best way for people to find you i'm quite active on twitter i'm also available to connect on linkedin and you'll find me on twitter at jen phelps 1994 and you can find me at jennifer phelps on LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to connect and have conversations with individuals who may want to chat more about internal communications and strategies. Brilliant. I'll I'll pop that in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise and for your candor today. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. It's been lovely having the opportunity to chat and I hope to hear from from others as they they listen to our conversation and it will be interesting to see what kinds of takeaways they have as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. I'd like to say another huge thank you to Jen. What a brilliant conversation that was and I really enjoyed learning the lessons of that podcast that didn't deliver. If you found something in this conversation that's helped you or that's triggered some thoughts, then please feel welcome to reach out to either of us. We'd be delighted to know that we've helped to spark your thought processes in some way. My contacts and Jen's contacts will be available in the show notes, which you can find at beabiggerfish.net. Thank you so much as ever for listening in. It's great to know that you're out there and you're enjoying this content about creating audio for internal communications. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next episode. So bye bye for now.